0: I invite you to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2 where we are going to be finishing the chapter. If you want one of the Bibles that are in the seat in front of you, that's going to be on page 857. So kids, if you're wanting to find that, there's a Bible there in front of you that you can pull and look at page 857. As you're going there, I, I want to talk about this habit that I've developed in my own life. And, And I'm not exactly sure when it started, but for a long time now, every time I go to a different church or I watch a service online, I'm observing everything. I'm watching everything that happens. I'm, I'm, and it sometimes is distracting for me to actually be like, no, Stephen, you're here to worship. But I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, what are they doing here? How did they do this? And, and genuinely, I try very hard not to do that with a critical spirit. Like, oh, I would never do that. Always trying to see something where I'm like, wow, they do that better. That is something that I could take from them. And, 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 and there's an element in when you're seeing someone who's getting the results that you also want, you're questioning, what are they doing? How did they get to that point? What were their values? What were their day-to-day consistent choices? How did God honor that faithfulness to get them to that point? Now, I know there's a number of you that do something similar when you go to other churches because you'll often come back and tell me about the other churches that you visited. And you said, oh, wow, this was so cool, and I, I experienced this. Um, and often you're very gracious and say, but I love our church. And I appreciate you saying that. I love our church too. But there is an element, and when you, when you can see something, see it develop, see what it produces, that you start to wonder, what's necessary in order to get those results. And maybe you haven't experienced that in the same way with, with um, going to a church, but you've probably experienced that in your own life. As you have certain things that you really desire and you see that someone else is doing it. Maybe it's a, a fitness goal. Oh, I just, man, I wanted to lose that weight. And then I saw someone that I hadn't seen in five years and wow, they lost a ton of weight and I want to know what they did. Maybe it's, it's the element of you see someone and their skill with playing an instrument. Whatever the subject, we often go through a similar process. What first piques our interest are the tangible results. What, what can I see that's happened? For, for church, that might be we see the growth. We see the joy in the members. We see what they're doing with their facilities. It could be any number of areas. We then, after we've seen those tangible results, we work backwards from the results to consider what some of the day to day decisions might be that are leading to those results. What are they doing day in and day out that's getting them to that point? But if we keep working backwards, we eventually arrive at the core principles and values that lie at the center of what we are able to observe. What are these people devoted to? What is their passion? What do they prioritize? What do they value? When we see someone that has a result that we want, what is the process then for us? When we observe those three elements, the results, the day-to-day, the values, our response is to then align our values, if we want the same results, to align our values with those. To apply those values to our day-to-day activities and then to anticipate similar results. This morning, Luke is providing us with a wonderful opportunity. Because we get to all visit a different church without leaving the building. You guys get to accompany me on this process that I always do when I go to a different church. Because we're going to observe the first church. First Christian church of Jerusalem. Some of you might be doing that right now with us here. That this is your first Sunday with us and you're observing things. You're wondering what's going on. Join me as we're going to look at this church and see this picture. It's almost like Luke is saying, hey, come here. Come to the window. Let's look inside. Let's see what they do. Let's see how they act. It's a glorious picture of a people who have reordered their values and devotions according to God's design a people who are willing to apply those devotions every day of their life, a people who God is using to accomplish mighty deeds. Now, if we were in the process of looking for a church, First Christian Church of Jerusalem would score high marks. This is the kind of church that I would want to be a part of. The results are something incredible. So how do they get there? Here's our big idea this morning. God accomplishes mighty deeds in and through the church devoted to his design. God accomplishes mighty deeds in and through the church devoted to his design. So let's read through this whole passage. Again, if you have uh, one of the Bibles from the pew, that's page 857. Starting in verse 42. And they... This is the 3,000 along with 120 disciples that now together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved when we were going through this passage I was going through this passage with a couple of people on Tuesday and and they highlighted one of the words that we often just ignore because it's just a connection word it just takes us to the next thing but it is everywhere in this passage it's the word and and this And this, and this, and this. The idea is that this keeps on expanding and growing and going beyond what we would ever imagine. It's an incredible description. It's an incredible result. But here's the question I want to ask. Is this what we would expect of the first church? Would we even expect a church Try to join the story. Try to join these first people as they're gathering, remembering what has happened, what we looked at last week with this 3,000 people who have heard a message proclaimed. What have we seen so far in Acts? Acts opens up with Christ resurrected. He is revealing himself to his disciples. For 40 days, he is explaining everything that is happening. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God to them. He's teaching them. He's told them to wait in Jerusalem, and then he leaves. And then for 10 days, they wait in Jerusalem. Then the Holy Spirit arrives. This pivotal moment that changes the entire course of history. The Holy Spirit arrives. It does this magnificent work. They go out, and they start proclaiming Christ. And what do we see happen with the crowd? First, Peter tells them, you're condemned. You're guilty of the death of God. But there's hope. There's hope if you repent, if you place your faith in Christ. So the end of the previous uh, section in verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. One of the metaphors, one of the symbols that we've been seeing within the book of Acts, though, is this idea of kingdom, And Luke is is zooming in and calling attention to this idea of kingdom and proclaiming Christ as the resurrected, ascended king. We sang about that earlier. He then talks about his kingdom that he has established. So let me ask you this. If you have a king in a foreign land who for the first time has a large group of committed followers. We've seen Jesus have followers before, but not like this. In the end, they always run away. At the beginning of Acts, there's just 120 disciples here. This is the first time where we see a large group of committed followers who actually believe. What would we expect a king and his followers to do in a foreign land? Revolt. Start a revolution. We've got numbers now. We need to get this going. And they do start a revolution. But it's not the revolution we would ever expect. Their revolution is the church. Their revolution is a different kingdom than what we were looking for. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so we're coming here, and we're seeing that this is different from what we would expect. And so now, if we're a first person there, we're like, how does this work? What's going to happen to these 3,000 people? So let's look. We start with a a summary statement in verse 42 that demonstrates their corporate devotion. What all of them did together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread... And the prayers. I want to call attention to this word devotion. It's the idea that they adhered to this. They steadfastly were attentive. They persevered. They pursued. This was what they valued. This was a priority in the life of their church. They devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? Well, there's listed four areas of devotion right here. The first one is to the apostles' teaching. Remember, this is all new to them. This is all, they're still figuring this out. That just a few, maybe a few days, we don't know exactly the amount of time that's passed since Peter's message, but they were cut to the heart. They, they, this was new to them. They're like, what? This, is, this changes Everything. We want to know more. Peter, John, James, Bartholomew, tell us more. Tell us what Jesus told you. Those 40 days that he spent time with you proclaiming his kingdom. What did he say? Help us see the connection. Help us understand what it is that happened. Disciples that went with him on the road to Emmaus where he said all of scripture was pointing to him. Show us that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. Now that's a word that if you spend time in in church circles, you're going to hear that word a lot. Unfortunately, I think we use the wrong synonyms for fellowship. We think about like, oh, uh, fellowship is coffee and donuts. Oh, fellowship is the 10 or 15 minutes after the service where we just do some, some chit-chat. Fellowship is just the, the casual time. I mean, this is fellowship, the time. Fellowship is much more. Fellowship is a new identity. Fellowship is this new community that Christ has established through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through the pouring out of the Spirit. This is an entirely new people. Now, I, I think that part of the reason that we struggle with that is some of our own cultural sensibilities. When we think about things, we tend to be pretty individualistic. We have some things that we might see ourselves as part of something like, you know, Pastor Billy is a diehard Philadelphia fan, everything Philadelphia, and, and that's part of, of his group. But he's still an individual. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the Gospels, is that the idea you get for the nation of Israel? No, they understood we are part of a a group. Now, understand... What we saw in the previous passage, that only we're talking about those who have believed, those who were called by the Father. So when we're talking about salvation, it is an individual salvation. It is based on your response and the Father's call. So we don't want to miss that and think, no, I mean, it's just everyone in your family. It's people who are close to you. It's everyone who is a member of this church. No, our salvation occurs on an individual level. However, when we are in Christ, we are a new person that is part of a new people. And they get this. This is one of their core values. Uh, kids, if you, uh, some of you have watched the movie Inside Out, the movie where you have all the different feelings and then they have the different um, memories that, they go, that come in and stuff. And some of those memories are called core memories. They are the most important. They develop and define who that person is. Now that's, that's more make-believe, but right here what we're seeing is the core identity of the church. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles and they devote themselves to fellowship. This is a new people It's a new body. They also devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, that term there, there's some confusion as to what this is talking about. I think many of you, if you've been in church for a while, you've grown up around church, you're hearing breaking of bread and you're thinking, oh, the Lord's Supper or there's other people like, no, I don't really think that, we don't have enough evidence here to say that this is the Lord's Supper. It's probably them bra- actually just eating together as we see later in the passage that they were going into each other's homes and eating together. Here's, here's what I think is happening, and, and there is a lot of different views on this. I'm going to explain my view on this. I, I think what we're seeing is that in this breaking of bread, a, a double duty. On one side, it's a further explanation of their commitment to fellowship. It's not just time together, just, oh, well, we spent, no, we're doing life together. We're eating together. We're going to see more pictures of that as this passage goes on, of what they're willing to do for the sake of this community, this fellowship but the other aspect of this, I do think that what we're seeing here is an Im- implementation of the Lord's Supper. Jesus commanded them in Luke twenty-two nineteen when he when he had the first Lord's Supper and he said and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me he broke the bread. But beyond that, in Luke 24, starting in verse 30, this is when the two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. Jesus is, is there's some humor there. He's, and he's like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, everything that's happened in Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? You don't know. You must be the only person who doesn't know. And, and there's just this humor that's there. And Jesus starts walking with them and explaining. Explaining the Old Testament. But notice the moment in which they find out who it is. Luke 24, verse 30, and when he was at the table at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, jumping on to verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road when they go back to the other disciples, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I think what Luke is highlighting here when he's talking about the breaking of bread is that the early church was committed to following what Christ commanded. You have to remember, they don't have this whole book. They don't even have the Gospels yet. This is the early church that is figuring things out. They don't know how everything's going to play out. We're going to go further on. When we get to 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is going to explain. He's going to give more details as to how this ordinance is meant to work. But right now, they have limited information. Remember, the Lord's Supper only happened a couple of months ago, maybe two months. They're still implementing this and they know, wait, Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. I think what we're seeing is that one of the core values, one of the devotions of the early church was to do what Christ commanded them to do. We come to the first value, and the, first, the, the, the last devotion, and it says, they devoted themselves also to prayers. Their time together finished with that Vertical focus. This is what it's all about. Praying to the Father. Whether that is in requests, whether that is in uh, praise to him, they are lifting everything and focusing on God himself. Now you look at these four different values, and and we can agree that all of these are good values. They're good devotions. but, But where do these come from? The reason why I think this is an important question is in determining whether this just happens to be their values, something that they did. And now it's, for, it's our job as our church to figure out what our values are going to be. The, the, the technical terms we talk about here are, is this descriptive or prescriptive? Is this just describing, okay, here's this early church. This is what they chose their four values to be. But you go out and you choose for your church what your values will be. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I don't think that this is descriptive. I think that this is prescriptive. The rest of the passage on some of the ways in which it plays out is more descriptive. But this is telling us the values that we are meant to have. Why? Where do these values come from? And just make sure I didn't switch my words. I think this is prescriptive. I might have flipped it. Did I flip it? No? Okay, good. Um, Where do these values come from? Who established the pattern of teaching to these disciples and to the early church? Who came with a ministry of revelation? Christ. Christ. Christ came with the pattern. Christ not only taught them what to do, he was the content of the teaching. Fellowship. What is the pattern that we saw in the life of Christ? Christ who went to people, that they said, you can't spend time with them. They're not part of us. You need to be separated from them. And what does he say? I came for the sick. I came for the lost. He had fellowship. He spent time with them. But he's not only the pattern, he's also the means. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First John 1:3, "That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ established the pattern of fellowship. Christ is the means of fellowship. Breaking of bread. Not only eating with other people, spending time, which was something that the religious people of that looked at with shock and disgust at the people that Christ would have communion with. But then also in the technical sense that he established the Lord's Supper. Prayer. Christ, every time, it's like every other page we're in the Gospels, Christ is going and spending time in prayer teaching his disciples to pray. So where are these devotions coming from for this early church? Are they looking at these devotions and saying, you know what? There's lots of different values. There's lots of different visions. There's lots of different ways we could order our church. Let's just pick these four. We don't want to have too many. No, they're following the pattern of Christ. They're saying, this is what he did. And if we are his body, this is what therefore we must do. So here's the question. Hillside Haven Community Church, are these our devotions? Are these our values? Now I want us to, to pay close attention though. I'm not asking if these are our convictions or our affirmations. I'm asking if these are our devotions there's a difference in that if it's something that you affirm if it's something that you aspire to it's if it's something that you are convicted by that can be fine but where do those reside where do our convictions and affirmations reside in our head where do our devotions and values reside in our heart if we want these values to produce a change, this isn't theological, theoretical, philosophical. Oh, well, this is what we think. This is the, 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 the purpose of the church. This is how we can do it. This is how we can go forward. No, no. This is what we pursue because it is the priority in our life. Is the teaching of God's word not just something that we say, yep, we, we preach God's word here. We affirm that. No, we value this to the point where we would do whatever is necessary to maintain the preaching of God's word. If that means firing me because I have departed from preaching God's word, then we would do that because our value, our devotion is to God's word. We are devoted to fellowship. That doesn't mean, well, we kind of do these activities every once in a while. We make it happen. We kind of, No, we are devoted pursuing ways in which we can have fellowship and community with each other. The breaking of bread. We are seeking what does God say in his word, and we were saying that's what we're going to do. If he has told us to do something, then we will commit ourselves to doing that. We will pursue that. The prayers, taking things to God. See, all of this is the question for us, the transformation for us, is that we need to align our devotions according to God's design. It's according to the pattern we see in Christ's life. So we see these first, this foundational level of value. Where does that lead to? Well, there's personal ramifications. As much as this is a corporate value, There's now elements in which, what does this mean for you? Now, I want to be careful and qualify what I say. What does this mean for you? Not in the sense of, oh, there's different meanings of the text, but meaning, how does this apply to you? You're going to see now examples. The rest of the passage, we're going to see, what did it look like for them in that church? How does this personally apply to us? See, our desire is not just that the truth would move from our head to our heart, for we want it to also then move from our heart to our hands. The things that we are devoted to, we want it to make a difference in the practical day-to-day life of what we're doing. Head to heart, heart to hand. So, let's look at some of these corporate devotions and how they personally uh, applied them the first thing that we see is that in verse 43 that they are united in awe. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Remember what has happened in this their story. They have just been overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel. They heard from the apostle Peter and it cut them to their heart and they responded. Now they want to continue growing. They want to continue learning and the result of that is it is impacting them to where they are overwhelmed and in awe. The other way that that word can be translated even is fear, the fear of the Lord. I Think what we're seeing here is a connection that Luke's making a connection here with the teaching because he continues to say, and the apostles were doing signs and wonders. God graciously confirmed the message that the apostles were teaching through miraculous signs. But here's the personal ramification for us. We can say that we are devoted to God's word. Well, what, what does that look like? Is it producing a tangible difference in your life? When you are coming on Sunday morning, are you prepared? Have you looked ahead at the passage? Have you, as you are listening, are you asking God, would you use this to transform me? Don't just use this so that I know more about you. Use this so that I look more like you. Is our devotion to the teaching looking like tangible differences, like the awe We see in this passage that we are not just concerned with information, but that that information would produce transformation. That's our goal every single week. That God, for each of us on an individual level, would challenge us, would change our hearts. We also see then in the next verses that they are united in both presence and possessions starting in verse uh, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And when and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is how they personally applied the commitment to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now before we continue, I want to just give a general caution to all of us. This is the caution. Knowing who we are and our nature, also even our cultural values. I think when we read these verses, these incredible and radical verses, our our natural desire is to go on the defensive and, and to justify our actions. Wait a second, God, you're, you're not asking me to do that. That was, that was unique to them. This isn't, that was descriptive, not prescriptive. We don't have to do this. I don't have to actually be, you know, sell any of my stuff. I don't need to give my things. I don't need to daily be doing this. And, and we so quickly go to the place of, no, wait, this doesn't apply to me. Now, understand I'm not saying that there is a direct application and that we therefore must do all this. But we so quickly jump to the defensive or to justify that we miss the incredible statement of what God is doing in this people. That their value for fellowship, their value for the breaking of bread, this community was so high that all of these other things that are stated to be the values of this world, they're worthless. Oh, I would give up all of these things for the sake of my brother. I would give up all of these things in order to spend time with my sister. We're seeing a picture, not of just a people, but of a family. Thinking for yourself, what would you give up if your family member was in need? What would you give up for your spouse, your child? Your brother, your sister, what are they willing to give up for this community? Before we jump to the point of saying, well, I don't think that this really applies to us, let's understand, wow, this is radical. This changes what they were willing to do on every single level. Notice all of the presence words of what they were doing. All who believed were together. They day by day, in verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Who, who, who's doing this? All who believed. Not cliques, not certain segregated groups. Okay, here's all the people that are into this hobby. They would gather together on Wednesday nights. Here's all the people who are in this age demographic. They would come together on Saturday nights. Here's all, no, all who believed were together. When? Day by day. What? Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. So where? Sometimes they would gather as one entire body in the temple. Other times they would split up and go and do these things. Now what we're seeing here as far as possessions, we're like, oh, they sold everything. Obviously they didn't sell everything because there's still some homes for them to go and gather together. But look at the value that they have in spending time together. Not just their presence, but also their possessions. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What are they willing to do for the fellowship? Are you seeing that their devotions are so inside of them that all of these other things that we would say are the most valuable, they're willing to give it up because their core devotions are what they say. No, these are the priorities. Selling, distributing, and receiving. And if we want to surprise the world around us, freely give up what people are spending their entire lives pursuing. What what, what is the world running after? I want more of this possession. I want more of these things. And to have an entire group that says, I am willing to give these things up. It's a radical application of their values. So how does this connect to us? Quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know how God is going to use the same values. But if we are devoted to these things, if those are the same foundation for us, if they are our core values, then the ways in which he can apply them are far. They are incredible to see what God could do. And I think there's a cause for concern here for, for all of us. I'm not thinking of any one individual. I'm mostly thinking of myself that we struggle to align ourselves with God's design, we have a much easier way of aligning ourselves to the world's values. The reason why this seems so hard for us is, wait a second, you want me to give up my time? You want me to give up my possessions? Do you know how hard I worked for those things? I think that what we 're seeing here is, is an element in which the church is being challenged on, about their time and their treasure. What is really their treasure? What are they truly willing to spend their time on? See all of us are, are spent, all of our time is spent pursuing different treasures. What kind of radical changes is God calling you to if your values are aligned with his values. I think that within the American church, um, just because that's where we are, there's an element in which so often we're just too busy. We're not willing to change our schedule. We're not willing to, uh, to let go of our pursuit of the American dream. And so these ideas, this radical picture of the church isn't accessible to us without us letting go. But those values were so established in them that they were willing to do these radical things. We come to the last one. They're united in praise. Praising God having favor with all people, just like what we saw that they were devoted to prayer, they are continuing that vertical aspect of their gathering. All of this was done as a form of praise. And, and, and look at some of the results, the, the side results that are happening. They have favor with all people. People are seeing the difference that has happened in them. The question for us is, are we willing? To do this, I'm not telling you you need to go home and sell everything you own. I'm not saying that you need to to completely change up everything. My question is what are your devotions? And according to those devotions, what are you willing to do? The possessions that God has given us, the stewardship over the different resources, whether those are time resources, treasure resources, whatever those are, do we hold on to them? close fisted holding them that we don't want to lose anything, or are we willing to give them up? That's what we see in the early church. This beautiful picture of what they were willing to do. So this is the transformation for us. Apply our devotions in all things. If these truly are our, our values, apply them to what we do every single day. Here's why. Because if we devote ourselves to God's design and we allow those devotions to make a personal impact on our day-to-day lives, God uses it to accomplish great and wonderful deeds. What are some of the divine results we see in this passage? The first one is every single word. How on earth does a group of sinners have a gathering like this? That's not possible in our own strength. We see a picture here of an internal transformation. God is working in these people. He has poured out his spirit in them. He is transforming them so that this gathering is possible. And it's possible for us too. Because we have been given the same gift. We have been given the Holy Spirit. This is possible for us as well. Not through our own strength, but because of what Christ is doing. There is an internal growth, but there's also the external growth. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what's interesting here is what part of the the previous verses was evangelistic? Going all the way back to verse 42, what would you look at there and say, oh, wait, that was clearly evangelistically focused. It's not. All of this is living like the body of Christ. And yet how does God use that? He causes his body to grow. When the church is living like the church is meant to live, when we look like the body of Christ, what we should anticipate is growth Now, I, I really want to just be careful here. I'm not making promises. All of this is according to God. He is the one that gives the results. Our role is to be faithful in what he has called us to do, and then he decides what those results will be. But sometimes we go so far on that side and say, well, so don't even expect results. It's, it's probably never going to happen. No. God commissioned us. Christ called us to be his witnesses. He told us this is the pattern. So we should ant- anticipate and expect similar results. We should live by faith. We should be excited to say, wow, God, I- I'm willing, according to those devotions, according to these values, w- what are you calling me to do? Let me apply this. And God, I am so excited to see how you are going to use this. God accomplishes mighty deeds in and through the church devoted to his design. I don't know what God might do in our congregation. I don't know how he will use the individuals who are personally committed, but I hope we are willing to take a lesson as we have looked through the window, as we have visited this early church. As we have seen, wait a second, when a church has not just ideas in their head, when these are values that they hold dear in their heart, according to the pattern of the life Christ lived, when those values then produce tangible, day-to-day, transformed lives, God accomplishes incredible things. The question for us is, are we willing to live that way here at Hillside Haven. That's an answer for all of us together as a congregation. Are these our corporate devotions? Are we devoted to God's word? Are we devoted to fellowship with each other? Are we devoted to doing what God has told us to do, to breaking bread? Are we devoted to prayer? Are we allowing those things to impact our lives so we are in awe at the teaching, that we are willing to give up our possessions, that we are willing to give up our time in order to build up the community, the fellowship of believers? Are we willing that all of this would be praise to our Father so that we can watch what he does both internally and externally? We need to align our devotions according to God's design. Apply those devotions to all things in our day-to-day living and then anticipate God producing remarkable and similar results because God accomplishes mighty deeds in and through the church devoted to his design.